Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all here. And uh, trust we're going to enjoy fellowshipping together and digging into God's Word. Uh, as Mike says, we, we are veering off from 2 Corinthians um, because I was given a blank canvas at fairly short notice and told to go for it and whatever God's put on my heart. So I hope you've got a lot of time. I, I've already been amazingly blessed by what has been read, what has been said. When Mike uh, read out of Ephesians, and talked about us being saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves, it's not of works, and then going on and, and saying that the Gentiles are being brought together with Israel to, to make a temple for God. It's a temple made up of people, and we know that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and that's part of what I want to talk about. We also uh, sang about the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, a God of covenant, and we serve a God of covenants, and he has a plan, and he is busy working. And I just think as Christians, it is so important for us to know at least a little bit about God's big plan so that we can understand a little bit about what's going on in the world. I'd like to just start by telling you about my younger self. Uh, so I want to go back to... 1967, how many of you can go back that far? Not very many. Okay, I was, I was uh, in school as a 16-year-old at Prince Edward School in Salisbury, Rhodesia, now called Prince Edward School in Harare, Zimbabwe. And it's interesting, the school keeps its name, but everything else has changed. I'm sure the kids are much the same there as they ever were, naughty and inattentive and I think we were in an Afrikaans class. Did you know we learned Afrikaans in Rhodesia? Um, and uh, someone brought a newspaper in, and it talked about the start of the Six-Day War in 1967. And uh, have we got that first slide? Okay, so that's, that's kind of going to be our, our background. So we're not, we've ha we haven't got the, um, the spheres of influence, except God's sphere of influence, which focuses on Israel, on Jerusalem. And so, thank you. Thanks for the, the slide. We can revert to that anytime you get tired of looking at me. Okay, so we, we were in class and someone had brought a, guess what, Mike, a newspaper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 1967, we still had newspapers. And it in the newspaper, the, the commentary was uh, analyzing what was going to happen in Israel with the buildup of troops around Israel. Israel had only been a, a nation state for, for 19 years, uh, came into being in 1948, so 1967, not even 20 years old, and they'd fought a war of independence in 1948, and now the all of the surrounding nations were intent on wiping Israel off the face of the earth. And in the newspaper was this analysis of the forces for and the forces against, and when I looked at it, you must remember I was a 16-year-old heathen. I didn't know anything about Christianity or the Bible. And I'm looking at this lot, and I thought, man, those guys haven't got a chance. Look, look at all these tanks. Look at all these, these uh, fighters. And look what Israel's got. It's, this is a, it's a walkover for those other, other nations. This is, this is not going to be good for Israel. Didn't worry me too much. Um, and then, of course, we, 
we watched what happened in that war, and it was all over before the mass, I mean, the Afrikaans lesson next week. It just was an amazing thing. Six days. And in six days, most of the Egyptian air force was wiped out. Most of their tanks were gone. Most of the other Arab states that were gathered against Israel were completely uh, dealt with. And, uh, yeah, it, it was really quite quite an amazing story. Um, and at the end of it, the state of Israel had expanded considerably. They, they now had Gaza, which is where all the trouble is now. They, they had... Um, the Golan Heights, which is a strategic uh, position to hold. They had the West Bank, which has been quite a thorn in their flesh. They had the old city of Jerusalem, which was so important to them. Why was it important to them? Because that was the city of David. That was the capital of Israel. Up until the time they went into captivity in Babylon, 600 odd years BC. And it's just mind-boggling to me that this God, who is a God of covenant, thanks Ty, um, promised that land to Israel way back in the time of Abraham. And they lost it when Babylon invaded. They never were fully in control of it again. Even though they did go back, they were always under foreign rule until 70 AD when the Roman armies came in and destroyed the place. And now... All these years later, in 1948 and again in 1967, the, the Jewish state was in control of those places once again. And I know people have got a lot of different opinions about the Jewish state, about Israel. And there's some people who say the Jews are God's chosen people. Uh, I want to tell you that is definitely not true. God chose Abraham, and he worked through his descendants. And uh, in our life group, we've been looking at how that was all worked out. And, and what we've seen is that God used Israel as a vehicle. And from, from the time God cut that covenant with Abraham, he was looking towards the time when Jesus would be born. And that is why that place is so significant because it's the place where Jesus was born, and it's the place where he died. And so it's, it's at the very center of God's plan. Have you ever wondered why such a small country has caused so much ill-feeling, so many wars, so much division, so much suspicion, and so much godlessness on all sides? And the truth is, Satan knows what is important to God. He also knows that Jesus is coming back and that he's going to rule from Jerusalem. So regardless of what the commentators may say, regardless of which side you might take, and I think it's probably unwise to take sides, but we do know that God is going to keep Israel and Jerusalem intact um, just about, because right in the end, things get really bad. So uh I've talked about what happened in 1967. So what happened yesterday morning before I knew I was preaching, I switched on the news and I saw that there's been this surprise invasion that Hamas from Gaza have invaded Israel and hundreds of people have been killed on both sides and retaliation is starting and who knows where this is all going to end. But there is a full-blown war happening in Israel as of yesterday. 
And I thought, wow. I was wondering what I was going to preach on. And I thought, you know what? You've got to be relevant. You've got to try and look at what is happening in the world as well as what's happening in our hearts. We, we love to preach the gospel. We love to give people an opportunity every week to make a commitment to Jesus, to, to come into faith in him for salvation. But it's also really good to know that God has got a big plan and that he is a God of covenant and that he is in control. And we don't need to worry about all of the stuff going on. The other scary thing about God is he is not soft on sin. I hope you agree with that. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you reading the Old Testament have been horrified by the amount of slaughter and bloodshed there is. But have you noticed that at the very end, there's coming a day of judgment where we'll all stand before him? And I want to suggest to you that only the minority will remain part of his kingdom into eternity. And that's, that's quite scary, isn't it? Um, if you want a, a softer sermon, there, there are lots of churches you could go to that will, will soothe your, your damaged <laughs> sense of what's going on. But I, I just want us today to uh, try and give an, an outline of God's plan and why that small piece of real estate is so important. So let's go to, to the first slide there. And the question I'm asking is, why is the Temple Mount so important to the Jews? And first, uh, read from you from 1 Kings 8, verses 10 to 11. And it came to pass, when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This was the occasion where Solomon had built the first temple. If you remember in the, in the Exodus, the children of Israel had a tabernacle, which was a tent. It was quite a fancy tent, um, but that was God's place. And David felt it was wrong that God should have to live in a tent while he lived in a palace. And so he wanted to build this temple for, for God and Solomon was the one who finally did that. And at the dedication of that temple, the Holy Spirit came in so powerfully that the priest couldn't stand to minister inside there. I don't know how much, because we, we love that story. Um, and we love the next verse as well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes be, will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. This was a place of prayer for God's people. And he said, when we, we turn our eyes towards that place, when, well, when Israel did that, but I think we are now all God's people. So the, that promise comes over to us as well. And we'll see that God is going to do an amazing work. He is Came to forgive those sins, the sins of his people, the ones who put their faith in Jesus and his sacrifice. So this Temple Mount is really important to the Jews because that's where God lived. That's where the priests ministered. And it was their focal point for a God that they couldn't physically see. 
This was where his presence was. Okay, so I want to just give you a rough uh, outline of the history of the temple. So we've got a timeline here. So that temple was completed by Solomon roughly 1,000 BC, so quite a while ago. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, 586 BC. It took a while to do it, so it happened over a number of years. But um, he pretty much destroyed that temple. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And at this stage, um, Israel had gone through some serious issues uh, in Solomon's time, or just after Solomon's time, when his son took over, uh, his son Rehoboam was decided the best way to assert himself after this amazing king who had built up the nation, built up the armies, but didn't have to fight any wars, built up the industry and the commerce. He, he'd done an incredible job. He had also taken in dozens of wives and concubines, which was the beginning of his downfall. Don't recommend it. I don't, I don't know any guys who would really like to go down that road. But um, his, his son decided the way to, to really establish his rule was to hit the people hard, increase taxes. You know, people love that. They, it usually makes them submissive. Well, that's what his advisor said to him, but it didn't work. And the 10 tribes to the north of the nation said, that's it. We are declaring our independence from you. They set up their own kingdom. They set up their own place of worship with a calf to worship. Can you believe it? To represent God. And so... Ten-twelfths of the, the tribes of Israel peeled off and cut off their connection with this temple that we've been talking about. And so you've got this huge division in the nation. Um, those ten tribes were conquered by the Assyrian Empire in 721 BC, and that's not up on the slide here. And they were taken away up into modern-day northern Iraq, Turkey, northeastern Turkey, Um uh, no, this is a, not into Babylon. This is the 10 tribes of Israel. They, they were taken up into that area. 100 odd years later, uh, Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes remaining, they were taken to Babylon. When they came back, and that was amazing, God moved through a heathen king to give them permission and encouragement to go and rebuild their temple. How often does that happen? That God speaks to a guy who doesn't even know him and believe in him and says, I want you to send my people back, those who wish to go to rebuild their temple. Now, why would God do that? Well, the reason is that those people, those Jews, and incidentally, they only became known as Jews, shortening of Judahites when they went back from Babylon. So when we talk about Jews, we're not talking about all Israel. We're talking about those two tribes that went into captivity in Babylon and then came back and rebuilt the temple, and then rebuilt the walls. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see again the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. First time Jews are mentioned in the Bible. Before that, they were the tribe of Judah, part of the 12 tribes. Okay, so at this stage, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. They then rebuilt it around about 457. It took them a long time, a lot of opposition. And the reason it was rebuilt was because God needed his temple again, because he was going to send his son into this world as a baby born in Bethlehem, not Nazareth, where his parents were. Isn't that amazing? God gets the Roman Caesar to put out a decree that every 
every um, Jew must go back to his place of birth, and Bethlehem was where Joseph came from. So when Mary's really pregnant and ready to give birth, she gets relocated from Nazareth to Bethlehem. People said, how can any good thing come out of Nazareth? No, he was born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, but God fulfilled his word. But according to the law of the Old Testament, Moses, who we sang about, when, uh, when women gave birth, when there was any shedding of blood, there had to be an offering. And so they would bring an offering, um, and it, it could be a, a lamb or a, a small goat, or if you were very poor, two doves. That's all they could afford. So that was what, what was presented to God in this temple when they brought Jesus in. And so this is as a baby. And so God got this temple built, rebuilt, through the edict of a heathen king and through the work of Ezra and later the walls built by Nehemiah, all in preparation for the coming of Jesus, 500 and something plus years before he came. Do you know God's got a long plan? Do you sometimes get frustrated at how slowly his wheels move? I mean, wouldn't we like peace on earth and mercy mild today? And yet things are getting worse and worse. But if you read your Bible, that's what he says is going to happen. And it's going to culminate in Armageddon in the end. And then Jesus comes back. Okay, so 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. God had no further use for it. And the Jews had by and large rejected Jesus. And remember when Jesus was, was going to be crucified? And he, he spoke and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you'd let me gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her chickens. But you would not. They would not accept him. The vast majority of the Jews in Jerusalem rejected Jesus. And so uh, the, the amazing thing is, Jesus then tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and, and the end of, chapter, of Luke to remain in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit and then to go and preach the gospel first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then all over the world. So this place, Jerusalem, was the, the springboard for the founding of the Christian faith. And of course, when their persecution came, they were scattered and they went all over. And we read about that in the book of Acts. So this, this temple is highly significant. Jesus was presented there. There were, were two people, Simeon and Anna, that were listening to the voice of God and recognized this baby as the Messiah. Otherwise, it was pretty much Joseph and Mary, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and the rest of the nation didn't know what was going on. And that's why when I saw the headlines this morning, I thought, something's going on. Because there's, in every one of these wars in, in, in Israel, in the, in the Middle East, there's, there's a moving forward towards the time of, of Jesus' return. And in, in Ezekiel, it speaks about God putting a hook into the mouth of the nations that are the enemies of Israel. And they're going to come down and attack the, the state of Israel, and it's going to be ugly. The, the last uh, thing in the timeline there is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was built in 705 AD. So a long, long time after the temple was destroyed by the Romans, the 
the Romans ruled over Jerusalem for, for many, many years. Um, at the time that it was handed back over to the Jews, it had been under British mandate since 1917. And prior to that, it was under Turkish rule. So the, the really interesting thing is when we talk about the claim of the Palestinians over Jerusalem and over Israel, um, actually they weren't in charge before the British, it was the Turks who were in charge, and they were the ones who built these, the mosques on, on the Temple Mount. And uh, that is quite, um, I guess it's quite controversial to build a mosque on, on a Temple Mount of another religion, because of course this is this is holy to the Jews, but it's also holy to us as Christians. Um, not that we worship in temples. He's told us we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? The importance of that temple mound has disappeared because Jesus tore the curtain of that temple, well, the Spirit did from top to bottom, and, uh, and then he allowed the Romans to destroy it because he didn't want people to be um, tripped up by the place. He wanted to, them to focus on the person of Jesus. That's who we preach, and that's who the Jews and every other nation needs to hear about. So there is great significance in this place. I want to just go to some of the prophetic uh, importance. Uh, John 2, 13 to 17. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who had sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a, a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, uh, uh, sorry, and, and poured out the, the money changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Interesting that this cleansing of the temple happens in John chapter 2. It seems to be right at the beginning of the ministry, just after he turned the water into, into wine or sometime after that. And then he did it again, which is recorded elsewhere, before he went to be crucified. Twice he cleansed the temple um, because that was a place of prayer. And while he was on earth, that was the focal point for the Jewish people for their worship. And he wanted it to be purified. He wanted it to be a place of prayer not a place where they were into making money. Okay, we continue with the prophetic significance. Matthew 24, 1 and 2. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wow. That was a, a serious temple. How many of you have visited Jerusalem and seen, been on the Temple Mount? Mm, just a couple of hands. One of the most shocking things to me about Jerusalem, I've been there a couple of times, is you can look from the Temple Mount and you can see some of the bricks that are left over or from the destruction of that temple. And when I talk about bricks, I'm talking about rocks. I mean... Blocks, I mean, two, three, four meters long and a couple of meters wide and a couple of meters. I don't know how they moved them. 
I mean, it's just mind-boggling, the, the, the skill and the craftsmanship and the, the primitive um, cranes they had to get those things up there. An amazing thing. And yet, somehow, Nebuchadnezzar managed to get his crowbar and shove them all into, into the gully below. I'm sure he didn't do the work personally. He had slaves who did that kind of thing. But it, it is, it's an amazing reminder, still lying there at the foot of Temple Mount, the holy place to Jews, to Muslims, because the Al-Aqsa Mosque is still there. I, I don't know if you've been watching the news at all about this latest invasion, but they're calling it the Al-Aqsa Deluge because the Jews have been given more and more freedom by the government of Israel to go up onto the Temple Mount. And there's quite a controversy about that amongst the Jews, but the, the Palestinians certainly do not want that. They say this is a Muslim shrine. It's ours. doesn't belong to you. And yet it's the ancient city of David right at the center, and it's where the temple of God was. Okay, so Jesus said there's not one stone will be left upon another, and they, they couldn't believe that. They were showing him how amazing, and they, I mean, it is amazing what you see there. The Wailing Wall was an out, outer wall, like the perimeter fence. If you've seen pictures of that, huge. It's just mind-boggling. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the location of the temple of God has moved. It's inside those who believe and are filled with his Holy Spirit. That's why we strongly believe in baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit, because we need the help of the Holy Spirit to live through these days, and we also need to recognize who we are. We are the building blocks of this new temple, and we don't want the things that happened in that temple the corruption where Jesus came in with his whip. We want these bodies to be vessels dedicated for the service of God. Can you see how this war somehow speaks to us? And that the things that are going on there are, are quite important. They have a serious prophetic uh, impact. I want to speak a little bit more about the prophetic significance. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 60 to 64. This is when they were trying to get witnesses to prove that Jesus uh, was a blasphemer and worthy of death. At last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you have said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Woo-woo, what a declaration. And those high priests loved it. No. We don't need any more witnesses. We have heard him blaspheme for ourselves. He's claiming to be God. 
The reason for that is he is God. He's the son of man, the son of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Figure that all out for yourselves. Understanding God is something that we cannot fully do because we are not God. We can understand some of God through his word and through his spirit enough for us. But one day we are going to see so much it's going to make our minds boggle. Uh, I think it talks about there being silence in heaven for half an hour, and I think it's, it's just kind of this moment. <laughs> I, no, I don't know if that's true, but, but I do think we are going to be just amazed. Zechariah 14, verses 1 to 4. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and, and your, your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. So this is a little foretaste of what's coming, hey? And there have been quite a few of them. These wars that happen fairly frequently over Israel, they happen for a couple of reasons. I think the underlying reason is Satan knows that this is God's place. He also knows because it's prophesied that Jesus is going to come back there and rule from there. And Satan hates that. He wants to do everything he can to prevent God from recapturing Jerusalem and Jesus ruling this world from Jerusalem and returning there. But it's going to happen. He will do it. John the Baptist and Jesus both spoke right at the beginning of his, his ministry, and they said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the temple of God is at the center of his kingdom. And that's why that temple in Jerusalem is not that important to us anymore, because the temple of God is here, inside each one of us. I know there are some people who fervently believe that that temple will be rebuilt before Jesus comes back. I'm not part of that group. Um, but listen, I might be wrong. You, if you do believe that, you could be right. And uh, we'll all rejoice, whatever happens, because Jesus is coming back. So I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's just across the way from the Temple Mount. Okay, there's a, the, the Brook Kidron, a stream that flows between them. If you stand on the Temple Mount and look across to the Mount of Olives, it's, it's just across the way from where the, that temple building was and where now the mosque is. But that's where Jesus is going to land when he returns. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. He's going to rearrange the geography of Jerusalem. And uh, it's going to be amazing. Let's just continue because I've pretty much run out of time. And there's a couple more verses I'd like to read. Zechariah 4, 5, uh, 5 to 9. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. 
when Jesus comes back, we know that all the saints are coming with him. You read in Thessalonians, I believe they're all coming to uh, Jerusalem and that he will, we will rule with him from there. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. Uh, the light will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time, it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day, it shall be the living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. That's the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Wow. When we hear the news, this is just a dry run. It's a dress rehearsal for what's coming. He's coming on the clouds. I probably shouldn't have tried to say that. <laughs> First Thessalonians, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, Comfort one another with these words. So this is the, the time of the resurrection. I believe it's the time of Jesus' return. He comes with the saints who've gone before and whose bodies will be restored to them in a spiritual form. And those, uh, those who are alive will be changed in a moment and will meet him. And so we will be with him. And I believe we will be dispatched from Jerusalem to rule the world under Jesus' kingship. So, am I phased by the news? It's horrible. When you hear old women being taken and kidnapped, apparently there was a 90-something-year-old Jewish woman in, in, a, in a golf cart thing, completely confused and being taken across to, to the Gaza Strip. Uh, there's been hundreds killed, probably thousands already, and the, this war is only just starting, and this is not the final war. So, uh, these things are awful, but do you know what? Mankind is so hard-hearted. Sometimes it needs a real serious wake-up call to bring about repentance, and even then, it's only a fraction, hopefully a big fraction of mankind that turn. You read in the Old Testament, as Israel made its way through history, again and again, you'll find parts of Israel being removed, just discarded by God, and a faithful remnant remaining. He is a God of the faithful remnant. And in the end, that's the, faith, that's the remnant, and it's going to be lots and lots of us read Revelation. Um, we will be those who rule with him. My challenge to you today is if the only thing you watched yesterday was the cricket and the rugby and you didn't get the news on Israel, then you are... Um, Sleeping at your post. <laughs> no, I, I could easily, easily have missed it myself. I must say my plan yesterday was not to be preparing this sermon. But do you know how much I was excited by preparing this for you? And I hope even though it's quite daunting and quite terrifying, what it is, you know, when there's a change of government, when there's a major coup happens, there's always chaos. And this is not just a change of government. This is a change of lordship. 
This world which serves the prince of the world, who is Satan, is going to bow the knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I'm on his side. Can I just pray for us? And then I'm going to hand over to Mike. I don't know how much time you got left to do anything this morning. Father, this has been a big subject, but it's so relevant to what's going on in Israel right now. And Lord, I pray for those people in that country, both in, in uh, Gaza and throughout the Palestinian areas and in Israel. Lord, I know that the church is growing in both of those areas. And it's crazy that those nations are, faith, are fighting each other. And yet in both nations, there is a core of Christians. Father, I pray that at the end of this war, there will be far more Christians on both sides and that you will continue to build your kingdom in those nations and throughout the nations of this world in the midst of this troubled time in which we live. So, Lord, just pray that you will do a mighty work of salvation. Lord, I also pray for anyone here today who never fully understand, understood about Jesus, that today you un understand that he died for your sins to be forgiven and that if you want to be on the right side, at the end of the time of this age, you need to give your life to Jesus. Amen.